I just remember the buzz and the excitement of that very first day. To see the growth from day one, it just exploded. We outgrew Petroglyph in a heartbeat. Todd uh, drew the line in the sand and said, okay, whoever's coming back next week, you're moving to the west side. We used to uh, have to set the church up every Sunday. Everybody served. Everybody had a role. The growth and the impact and the outreach that Sagebrush now has, it's amazing to think that it started with 120 people. Join us on January 27th and 28th for an unforgettable weekend as we look back and celebrate the past 25 incredible years of Sagebrush and look forward to what new things he has in store for this church. Isn't that exciting? So good. That's next weekend. We're going to be celebrating our 25th anniversary. You can see I've got the 25th anniversary sweatshirt on right now. You can pick those up in the lobby. Uh, they're, they're for sale. You just can't take them, okay? I just want to make sure you know that. If you want to get some 25, uh, 25th anniversary stuff, we also have this uh, hoodie kind of thing, jacket, zip-up jacket for the 25th. Got those black sagebrush uh, hoodies back in stock as well. So if you want to go buy on multi-sites, it'll be next week. They'll be selling them at your multi-site next week. So I hope you'll take advantage of that. I want to welcome everybody in the room, everybody who's watching on TV and the stream, all the multi-sites all over New Mexico and in Belize. I also want to welcome all the small little churches that we got popping up all over the United States. Here's what's happening, friends. There's a lot of people who don't have a sagebrush in their area, and they're like, you know what? I'm going to start my own small group. I'm going to invite my friends and family to come over and watch this with me. And so that's exactly what they've done. I know of one group in Alaska. They've had 20 people give their lives to Jesus Christ since they started watching the services of sagebrush. So a shout out to our friends in Alaska as well and every place else. We're glad that you're a part of the Sagebrush family. We are in the middle of the series called Get in the Game. So let's get into the message. Soren Kierkegaard tells the story about a firefighter. Everybody in the town loved the firefighter because he was so kind. He was so nice. In fact, they liked all of the firefighters in that particular town. Well, one guy got the idea. He said, you know what? We just need to show our appreciation to our firefighters. I just think the next time that there's a fire in town, we should go and help them. And all the townspeople thought that would be a good idea. So the next time there was a fire in town, 200 people showed up, all carrying squirt guns, of all things. And so they were over there. They got there before the firefighters got the opportunity to get there. And they're squirting with their squirt gun. Did you not think it was going to be loaded? <laughs> and so, <laughs> so the firefighters, the, the firefighters <laughs> began to get there and they're like, what in the world are you doing? They said, listen, there's a spokesperson said, listen, we appreciate everything that you're doing, Mr. Firefighter. And we just came out as a small token of our appreciation, and we're fighting this with you. And the firefighter said, what are, you, what are you talking about? You guys are crazy. What's, what's the matter with you? And the guy said, well, listen, we know that we could do more. We know that. But we just wanted to show you in some small way how much we appreciate all of your efforts. And with that, oh my goodness, the firefighter got angry. 
He said, do you understand what you have come to? You have come to a fire. And when you come to a fire, you don't come to make small sacrifices. You come to give your very life. And so it is with the church. Lots of well-meaning people, they go to church and they do their hour of obligation. They say, oh, pastor, we just appreciate you so much. We just want to show you in some small way. But you know what? We're only going to help you if it's convenient. <laughs> only going to help you if the schedule fits just right. Only going to help you if all the stars align. And you can almost hear God say... You can almost hear God say, do you think the church is the place to make small sacrifices? Do you think the church is the place where we just do what's convenient and what's easy? No, I've called you for something greater. I've called you to kick down the very gates of hell itself. Look what the Bible says here in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. It says, Be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Do you see who we're battling? Our battle is not against Flesh and blood. You see, you saw so many of us, we think that's what our battle is against. We think our battle is against flesh and blood. We're not getting to the root issue. See, some of us are addicted to all kinds of different things, and you think it's a flesh and blood issue. You think if you could just muster up the willpower and muster up the strength that you'll be able to somehow overcome it. But I'm just telling you, friend, there are forces at work. Spiritual forces at work that are drawing you back into that lifestyle that's going to destroy your life. You, you think that person who mocks the name of Jesus is your enemy. That he is not your enemy. I'm just telling you there are forces going on in that person's life that is causing him to come to that conclusion. We look at our society today, and we look at our culture, and we shake our heads, and we say, well, maybe politics will fix this. Or maybe somehow some kind of social reform will fix the ills of our world today. And I'm just telling you, there are forces at work, spiritual forces at work. I don't think some of you believe me. Let me ask you a question. Why aren't we past racism yet? My goodness, shouldn't we be past this by now? I mean, it's been talked about and talked about and talked about and talked about and talked about for decades upon decades upon decades. You would think at some point in time that we would not look at somebody and base them upon the color of their skin. That we would love all, that we would serve all, that it wouldn't matter the epidermis of your skin color. Yet we're more divided than we've ever been before. Why do you think that is? Do you think that's a flesh and blood issue? Or do you think that maybe there might be some spiritual forces behind all of that that are trying to get us to kill and steal and destroy everything about what we hold precious in our life? You've got to get, you see, to the root issue, don't you? 
I was reading a book by Kyle Eidelman. He said, let's say you go to the doctor and you have cancer, but you also have a cough. And the doctor says, listen, that's a terrible cough you've got right there. So you know what really is, doc. Can you give me something for the cough? And the doc writes you a prescription for the cough and says, have a great day. You say, whoa, 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 wait, appreciate the medication for the cough, but doc, could we go a little bit deeper? Could we get to the root cause of the cancer? You see, you think that the enemy is the professor who belittles your faith. You think that the enemy is the spouse who makes fun of you when you bow your head for prayer. You think the enemy is the wife-swapping, porn-watching, beer-drinking neighbor across the street. Friends, they're not the enemy. They are victims of the enemy. They are people who have been trapped and who have been deceived. Though they have eyes, they cannot see. Though they have ears, they cannot hear. Their enemy, our enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Many people that we're surrounded with are in spiritual darkness. They're swimming with the sharks. Take a listen to this song. In the rocky waters, out of where your sons and daughters eat you alive. Labels, better put your head on swivels, dancing with the very devil, butter tonight. You think you're better than them, better than them. You think they're really your friends, really your friends. But when it comes to the end, to the end, you're just the same as them, same as them.
So last week in this series, we said that we're going to be a group of people who are going to kick down the very gates of hell, that we're going to go on rescue missions, that we're going to be the kind of people who don't see other people as enemies because they don't think like us or believe like us, but we're going to reach out to them with the love of Jesus Christ. We're going to pray for them. We're going to run plays for them. We're going to reach as many as we can because there really is a heaven, there really is a hell, and people really are going to one place or the other. So let's go back in time 25 years ago. 25 years ago when I'm a younger man and we decided to start this church. And I said, you know what? I don't want to do church like everybody else does church. I I think church should be something that people want to go to. I think church should be something that people look forward to. And I don't think church should be something that you got to enter into a time warp machine to understand what in the world is going on. And so we're kind of figuring out what kind of church do we want to have? Well, I want to have the kind of church where I could partner with you. Because I know you well enough to know that you care about people who are, who are spending, going to spend their eternity apart from God. And so I know that you want to build relationships with people. And if you want to be able to invite them to a church that you are proud of. So I said, okay, how, how in the world do we put a church together that people are proud of? Because I think a lot of people are embarrassed of their church. And I didn't want you to ever feel like when you came here that you'd be embarrassed of anything that we said or of anything that we did. So we said, we came up with this little statement that's our next play that I hope that all of us, it will resonate with us and you'll understand why we do what we do here as a church. This is the statement we came up with. We believe the church should remain culturally relevant while remaining doctrinally pure. Now, Now, what in the world does that mean? Well, you need to understand that we got the basis for this thought from 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 22, it says, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and to share in its blessing. So we said, okay, is it possible to put together a church where you have a church service that people aren't embarrassed of, that are culturally relevant while also remaining biblically accurate? Is there a way that we can walk that rope, because that's what the Apostle Paul did, right? The greatest missionary ever. He would go from one town to another town, and he would try to find common ground. He would look at the culture, and he would take the message of Jesus, and he would take that message, and he would speak to that culture. Now, this isn't rocket science, is it? If you decided to go to the Middle East to start a church, and you've never been to the Middle East before, what would you do before you opened the doors of that church? I would think that you would study the culture of it, wouldn't you? You'd ask yourself lots of different questions about how to reach these people with the good news of Jesus Christ. You'd say, what are their fears? What are their insecurities? What are the things they like to do with their free time? What do they believe about God? What do they believe about church? How, How can I impact their world? How can I use something that they've already got in culture and spin that with the spiritual truth so I can connect the dots from where they live to what God has planned for their life? So when I sat down 25 years ago, I started putting down the thoughts about what this kind of church was going to be. There were some certain things that I wanted to do that would make us more culturally relevant. The first thing that I decided to do 25 years ago is I said, we're going to have contemporary music. We're going to have music that's got drums and keyboards and guitars. And let me tell you something, friends, 25 years ago, that was a radical thought. Because if you went to church 25 years ago, here's what you got. You got organ, and you got piano, and you got operaic singing. That's what you got from the front. Hallelujah. 
And I just noticed that nobody was listening to that kind of music on the radio. You know what I'm talking about? So I said, what, what, okay, looking at the culture, what, what's the top two types of music that's out there that people enjoy? Well, there's adult contemporary music, and the other's country. <laughs> I'll pray for your salvation. So, <laughs> so around here, we do, we do contemporary music, and you already know that. And the reason we do it is we don't want people to walk through the doors and feel like they're walking to a time warp machine to understand who Jesus is, that they got to go back to the 1970s. And no doubt the 1970s had some great music, just not in churches. Do you understand what I'm saying? So we've done songs from Queen. Oh, yeah, we've done secular songs, too. Oh, this is always gets me into a bit of trouble. I cannot believe that the church would play music like that. <laughs> We've done Queen. We've done Nickelback. I love Nickelback. Sorry for all you Nickelback haters. I love Nickelback. I think they're solid. Uh, we've done Ed Sharon. We've done uh, Shawn Mendes. We just did an Imagine Dragons song just a minute ago. You say, why in the world would you do that, Todd? These are all sinners. Well, let me ask you a question. Have you ever heard a song that wasn't written by a sinner? Has there ever been a song sung that wasn't sung by a sinner? Hey, I love our praise band. They're godly people, but they're sinners. <laughs> and I hate to break this to you, but you are as well, right? So I made a decision a long, long time ago. You know, we're going to use anything for the kingdom of God, for the glory of God. And I've gotten letter after letter after letter after letter about this kind of thing. Oh, people just upset, and they just don't understand the heartbeat behind it. Listen, if somebody is driving down the road and they hear a song that we did in church and we were able to take that song and that spiritual truth, do you ever notice that God can even use lost people to, to have a spiritual truth? And if I can somehow find common ground with that song and use that song in a worship service, and when you're driving down the road and you hear that song, maybe you would connect that song to that spiritual truth. And it would bring you back to remembering what we talked about and how relevant Jesus can be to our life today. So I, I said, okay, first thing we're going we're gonna to have contemporary music. We're going to have drums. We're going to have guitars. We're going to have bass. It's going to be loud. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be good because I will use anything I can for the glory of God. Let me give you another thing that we decided a long, long time ago. We decided that we'd let people remain anonymous in our services. See, some churches you go to and, and uh, they, they kind of put you on the spot. You ever been to a church like that? I was at this little church one time, and, and they said, we want everybody who comes to our church to stand up, and if you're a guest today, remain seated. And I thought, what is going on? Well, I didn't want to lie. I'm in church, right? So I don't go there, so I stay seated. And they attacked me like a pack of wild dogs. And for an introvert, that's not a good time. I remember one little small church that I went to one time. They said, if there's anybody who's visiting with us today, stand up and introduce yourself. For an introvert, you just about killed me right there on the spot. I didn't want to say anything, give anything, sign anything, do anything. I just wanted to blend in. Guess what? We allow you to do that here too. You could be anonymous in this place and go at your own spiritual pace as long as you want to. And, and I will never, ever try to coerce you. I will never try to twist your arm to make you believe something or make a decision for something. I will not emotionally manipulate you. And I will not beg you to the very throne of Jesus. I won't do it. 
He died for you. He rose again for you. He wants to have a relationship with you. He's offering his hand to you today. And you could choose for yourself. You want to accept it or reject it. But I will not manipulate you. I will not guilt you into a relationship with him. And if you get at some point in time in our church where you don't want to be anonymous anymore, we've got lots of opportunities where you don't have to be anonymous. You, you can text us or call us at 505-922-9200. You can fill out the spiritual decisions on the Sagebrush app. You can go over to the first step room. You can say you're interested in serving in a ministry. There's lots of ways to make yourself known. But we allow you to go at your own pace, do your own thing. And when God wants to draw you in and you're willing to accept that, we just want to be here to celebrate that and to applaud that on. Let me give you the third thing that's different about us than most churches. It is uh, we let people dress casually around here. Now, you can wear a suit and a dress if you want to. I don't know why you would, but if you want to, you can. You can wear shorts in this place. I don't care. You can wear a T-shirt. There was a lady the other day, my wife was talking to her and said, yeah, I'm leaving out to church. And she said, oh, I'd like to come. What, what should I wear? And my wife said, Clothes. And she said, well, I need to wear a dress and, and heels and all that. And she said, no, just what you have on right now would be fine. She said, you're kidding me. She said, no, you can just come as you are. Because at our church, we think God cares more about the heart than he cares about the outward appearance of someone. The only thing that we ask, the only thing that we ask is that you be covered. That's it. Cover the essentials. I mean, you come in here with the cut-off jeans and all that kind of stuff and the holes. Some of you kids are getting ripped off. You understand what I'm saying? You haven't bought a full pair of pants in a long time. You know what I mean? But I don't care. As long as the essentials are covered, you can have everything cut around there that you want. You understand? You say, why, why do we do that? Shouldn't we bring our very best to the Lord? Absolutely we should. But I think when he talked about bringing his, our very best, I don't think he was talking about our very best suit or our very best tie or our very best dress. I think he was talking about our very best sacrifice of praise, our very best obedience. I think that's what he was talking about. 25 years ago, my brother and my sister had walked away from the faith. They went to church because my parents drug them to church. Joke is, is that we had drug problems as a kid, right? Parents drug us to church all the time, right? Well, as soon as they moved out, they never darkened the doors of a church again. Well, I feel like God's called me into the ministry. And I long for my brother and my sister to have a relationship with Christ. So I sat down one day and I said, let me ask you a question. Why don't you ever go to church? There's lots of good churches around. Why don't you go to them? And this is what they said. We don't have any clothes to wear. The average person doesn't have a closet full of suits and ties, and the average girl doesn't have a whole bunch of dresses. And if you only got one suit or one tie and you only got one dress, what are you going to do, wear that every single week? And then people can look at you and weird after a while. I, I said, Jeff, Kim, the number one reason you won't go to church is because you don't have the right clothes to wear. They said, yeah. And in that moment, I said, I don't care. When I become the pastor of a church, you come as you are. And here's the hope. You don't stay the way you are. But you would never, ever. Gosh, I was at this one church in Kansas City. This guy was, 
jogging by in a sweatsuit. I'll never forget this. Jogging by in a sweatsuit, and he sits up in the cheap seats where a bunch of you are at. You're my fan. I'm, I'm, your, I'm for you. That's where I'd be sitting, too, if I wasn't the preacher. I'd be up there as far away from me as I could get. That's what I'd be doing. And he came in, he said, we had a balcony. He sat all the way at the very top of the balcony in a sweatsuit. Now, this was a church where the dress mattered. I mean, at that time in my ministry years, I had a closet full of suits. And so I, I got my suit on, everybody else on staff, everybody else got suits on, everybody's dressing up to the very best, you know, because it's all about your clothes. This guy doesn't know that. So he's jogging by the church, he thinks, hey, it's about the same time church is going to start, I think I'll go in. So he comes up to the balcony, you ready for this? A guest service person walked over to him and asked him to leave because they didn't have the right clothes on. Can you imagine standing before God one day and saying, that you did that to somebody who was just looking for a little bit of help and a little bit of hope because they didn't have the proper clothes on? Let me tell you something else about me. Is I'm always going to just tell it like it is. I'm just going to shoot straight with you. I'm going to take complex things and I'm going to make them as easy as I possibly can so that everybody can understand those things. I have seven years of Bible training. If I want to blow you away with some big theological term or word, I could do it in a heartbeat. And you would look at me and go, wow, our pastor's really, really smart. But what in the world did he just say right there? I come at this with the idea that there are people who have come to our worship service who have been blinded by Satan for a long, long time and they've been beat up, and they're scarred, and they've never read the Bible before, and they're hoping that something I say, or maybe something you say, would so impact them and give them hope for another day. See, I, I think a lot of preachers, and again, I don't have this all figured out, but I'm just telling you what we do. I, I think a lot of preachers are answering questions that nobody's asking and I think a lot of preachers are, are, are doing lessons or messages on things that nobody cares about. I don't think this past week, the, the road that we've got by our church, I don't think there was anybody driving by going, I wonder what the cubic feet of the tabernacle was. I, I don't think anybody cares a thing about that. I don't think anybody's you know, contemplating what were the pieces in the Ark of the Covenant. I don't think anybody cares about that. What do they want to know? Does Jesus have an answer for my anxiety? My goodness, my whole world has caved in around me. Can God still bring something good out of something so bad? I'm stressed out. I don't have any hope. I feel empty inside. I don't have meaning. I don't have purpose. We talk about those issues in our church. Here's the goal. And if you ever... I'm getting so excited. If you, ever, if you ever bring a friend, you'll understand why we do what we do. If you've never brought somebody to this church, you fully won't grasp or understand what we're trying to do. Because when you go to lunch with them or dinner afterwards, and they look at you and say, I liked your church, it made sense. I liked your church, I felt like I was at home. I felt like I could be myself. Hey, that preacher, he made sense. That was helpful. He was passionate. He was challenging. That was convicting. He spoke to my world. And now I'm beginning to believe that maybe there's more to life than what I thought. And then you'll know 
Why it is we do the things that we do and why we present the things that we present the ways that we do. Over the years, there have been people who have left our church. They've moved to other states. They've gone to Denver and Phoenix and Dallas. A lot of you get promoted in your jobs and you move from this town into another town. And you come for one last time. And you come into the foyer and you talk to one of the pastors and you say, this is my last, my last weekend here. And tears well up in your eyes. And you say, I'm, I'm going to miss two things about Albuquerque. I'm going to miss this church, and I'm going to miss green chili. That's what you say. You say it over and over again. And I just think to be put in the same sentence as green chili, that's pretty awesome right there. Because it's delicioso. You know what I'm talking about right now, don't you? You know what they say? They say things like, I'm never going to find a church like this ever again. Now, some do, and I'm glad that they do. But we have a lot of folks in all these different states that have moved to different places, and they still watch it on the stream. They're starting their own little small groups. They're starting their own little home groups, their own little churches. Because this is the place where they met Jesus. This is the place where their eyes were opened. This was the place where they found out that they were being victimized by Satan, and they didn't want to be victimized anymore. This is the place where they had a real encounter with a real God who really does love them. So we say we're going to be culturally relevant while remaining doctrinally pure. So you need to understand this. We will never water down the message of Jesus Christ. Ever. I will never water down the message of Jesus Christ. Here's the next play that I want you to get. We believe that the Bible is the catalyst for transformation in individuals' lives and in the church. We talk about tough stuff around here. And I will always shoot straight with you, and I will share with you what God's Word has to say, and I will do it unapologetically. I don't care about what culture is. I don't care what's politically correct. The Bible is our true north. The Bible is what we stand on, and the Bible is what we teach. And, and yet we have a reputation, because we're such a large church, that we have watered down the gospel. I don't know if you know that or not. I didn't even understand it. Until one day I found out about it. We were trying to buy a church because we wanted to bring the light of Jesus to this one particular community. And this church that had had the church before was looking to sell it. And they had already moved their congregation to another part of town. Well, we felt like this was a great opportunity for us. And so we uh, had one of our pastors who knew this guy from, from years earlier, friendship years earlier. And we said, give him a call, see if he'll sell the church to us. So he calls him on the phone. And they re get reacquainted, and uh, he finally asked, hey, man, would you, would you be willing to sell the church to us? And the pastor on the other end of the phone said, I will not sell it to you. And our pastor was a little bit confused, and he, and he said, I don't understand why. And he said, well, because you guys water down the gospel. You don't talk about sin. You don't talk about repentance. And, and he said, where did you hear that from? He said, well, you're such a big church. Big churches, they just water down the message of Jesus. So it was just assumed that that's what we did. So we said to him, he said, all of Todd's messages are on iTunes. They're on our website. They're on our app. You can get them on YouTube. I challenge you to listen to any three messages that we have out there. And if you still think we water down the message of Jesus Christ, don't sell it to us. Will you take the challenge? He said he would. I give credit to that pastor. 
He listened to three different messages that day, called us about three hours later. He called uh, our staff member. He said, I'll sell it to you for a discounted price. Now, why? Because we stand on the Word of God. The Word of God is living and active. And that the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even the divine of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. It is the Word of God that gets to the root sin issue of our life. It's the Word of God that pierces our very soul and reveals our deepest need for an intimate relationship with God. It is the Word of God that transforms people's lives. Now, why did God give us the Bible? I, I think one of the reasons He gave us the Bible was so we could learn from the failures of others, don't you think? So that we wouldn't take the same steps that they took so we wouldn't end up on the same ditch that they ended up in. See, I love the Word of God because it's a warning, isn't it? It's a warning about what not to do, and it's also an encouragement about how to live your life. If you're contemplating adultery, read 2 Samuel. Look at what happened to David when he slept with Bathsheba. And how what he did was wicked in the eyes of the Lord. And look at the consequences that David faced as a result of the wicked sin that he had done. And then you sober up and you run away from that woman or that man and you be faithful to your husband or to your wife. You want to read the story about somebody who had unbelievable potential. Someone who was handpicked by God. An angel even announced his birth coming. And yet here's a guy with all this amazing potential. And he never takes his relationship with God seriously. You say, what story are you talking about? Read the story of Samson. Read the story of Samson. He had everything in his favor and he squandered it all. He truly was his own worst enemy. You want to know how to live a godly life in a godless culture? Look no farther than the book of Daniel. Daniel, man, was such a, a man of integrity. And his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego... Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon at the time, builds an image of gold 90 feet tall, 9 feet wide, made of solid gold. Says, everybody has to bow down or I'll throw you into the furnace. Those three men stood for God. They refused to bow down. Nebuchadnezzar calls them in, says, I'm going to give you one more chance. And they said this, our God's able. Our God's able to rescue us from your hand, but even if he doesn't, we're not bowing down. To the image of gold. You want to know how God can use ordinary people like you and me in extraordinary ways? Look no further than the book of Acts. Do the same thing that the people in the book of Acts did. Pray like the people of book, the book of Acts prayed. Be bold like the people in the book of Acts were bold. Do the things that God has asked you to do. Be obedient. Be obedient to the King of kings and the Lord of lords and tell him you're available to do whatever he wants you to do whenever he wants you to do it. And then he will do exceedingly abundantly more than anything you've ever dreamed or imagined. Your marriage on the rocks, oh my goodness, the Bible talks about the good, the bad, and the extremely dysfunctional of marriage right there in the Word of God. You lonely, you looking for some friends. God's Word tells us what a true friend is and how to be that true friend. If you're looking for wisdom in your life, read the book of Proverbs. A proverb of day keeps stupidity away. <laughs> you want to know the meaning of life? Read Ecclesiastes. You got a giant you can't defeat? 
Read 1 Samuel. Read about the courage of a young shepherd boy by the name of David who ran out on that battlefield and took on that giant of a man named Goliath, believing that the battle belongs to the Lord. Page after page, story after story. You want to know how you can be forgiven of your sin? How you can have a relationship with Jesus? We'll get to know him. Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. You fearful of what's on the other side and what heaven holds? Read Revelation chapter 21 and 22. There's power in the word of God. And if you will read the word of God with an open heart and with an open mind, God will speak to you. God will speak to you, your individual life, your individual need. This is the book that we go to for comfort. This is the book that we go to for perseverance when we feel like we're just going to give up and we're going to quit. This is the book we go to for the forgiveness of our sins. This is the book that we go to that shares with us God's amazing love for you and for me. This is the book we stand on. This is the book that we teach from. This is the book that we read on a daily basis. And this is the message we proclaim that God so loved you and me that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but shall have everlasting life now my question is is do you know him do you love him do you serve him if you were to stand before God today and he was to ask you the question why should I let you into my heaven what would you say please tell me you wouldn't say because I'm a good person all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. None of us measures up. To get into heaven, we have to be perfect. Well, guess what? Not a single one of us is. We owe a sin debt to a holy God. And so Jesus came and lived the perfect life. Jesus did that which we could not do. Jesus died on that cross and hung there for six hours one Friday and bore the weight of your sin and my sin. Three days later, he rose again from the dead, conquering death, conquering sin, conquering the grave. He has the best plan for your life. He wants to help you every single day. He wants to bring hope to the hopeless. He'll be a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And he's just a prayer away. You repent of your sin. Say, I don't want to live this way anymore. I don't want to do this stuff anymore. I, I, I'm tired of being blind. I'm tired of being a victim. I'm tired of swimming with the sharks. I believe that Jesus is God's son, that he died on a cross and rose again from the dead. And I believe he did it for me. And I commit my life to him. Everything I am, everything I hope to be. I know I'm not going to be perfect. But it's the desire of my heart, the desire of my soul to please him in everything that I say and do. Have you ever made that decision? Well, if you haven't, I'm going to give you a chance today. Because you know who he is. And you know who he can be for you. And you know what you're missing. And today could be the day when you finally say, I'm coming home. I'm coming to Jesus. One day when I breathe my last breath on this earth and I stand before him and he asks me that question, why shall I let you in my heaven? I'm going to say it's not because of anything I've done. It's because of what you did for me. It's because you sent Jesus, and I trusted him in my life, and his blood covers all my sin. He who knew no sin became sin, so I might be right with God. Do you have that peace that when you breathe your last breath, that you'll go to heaven? You can have that today if you'll just take a step of courage and trust him with your life. 
Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I know that there are people here today who are in desperate need of you. And I pray that today would be the day of their salvation. Today would be the day where they say, you know what, I'm tired of swimming with the sharks. I'm tired of the, uh, of the scars. I'm tired of the, of the heartache. I'm tired of the pain. I need Jesus. Lord, I pray for a moment of courage that they would be able to stand up and come down to the front, extend their hand to the hand of a pastor and get their life right with you. Lord, I pray that your will would be done in this moment in time. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.